Tuesday in Philadelphia on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. So you know what that means. It's time for the Out of Sight Podcast on said Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am your host, Adil Royster. Chill ride, chill vibes as always. I am still very chill, even though there is a one Joel Hans Embiid who is injured now and he's going to be missing two to three weeks due to a knee injury. Nothing serious, no structural damage. It, it did look nasty. I'm not going to lie. It, it did look a little nasty when he went down like that, but it's fine. Everything's fine. We don't need the dog in the room on fire meme. It's fine. Everything's cool. Uh, to help me convince you guys of that, I have Sean Kennedy on the line. He is the associate ed- editor for Liberty Ballers. He is on a number of podcasts on the podcast network. He's on so many. I can't even go down the list right now. I'll just let him rattle them off. We're going to get into some stuff with the starters and then talk about the bench because the bench has really been performing since Joel went down. So let's just start it off. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast. And I would say I'm doing pretty chill, too. I, the the Embiid news was certainly <laughs> as good as could be expected after yes. after watching him uh, collapse to the floor against Washington. Um, it really did look bad in the moment and everyone's worst fears were running through their heads. So getting that early Saturday morning news of the MRI being clean and only being a, a few week injury for a deep bone bruise, I, I couldn't have been happier to, to receive that information. So, and Sixers are uh, playing great and still first in the Eastern conference. So I, I can't confirm nor deny that I may have had a little whiskey with my breakfast on Saturday morning until that news came in. And then I was fine. I was fine the rest of the day. I was chill. Um, with Embiid being out for a little period of time here, it seems like we are in another one of those spring 2018 positions where Ben Simmons is just going to kind of take over. Yeah. So as people might recall back in the late March, April time period in 2018 is when the Sixers rattled off that 16 game winning streak to finish the regular season. Unbelievable. It, good times were had by all in Philadelphia. Good times were had by everyone in the tri-state area. And that, that was, Embiid was out during that time. And he later came back after the playoffs had started and he was the, the phantom of the process as, as, as many people. <laughs> what uh, an angle. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, are fond of, of recalling the, uh, <laughs> the wonderful showmanship that Joel Embiid brings to, to any situation. Oh, um, I love it. Gotta love the man. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, we really saw uh, what the Sixers team could look like was a little more of a Ben centric approach. They, they were much faster getting up and down the court. It was all kind of catered towards Ben's ability and transition to really punish opposing teams. And with Joel, uh, you know, this was three years ago, but Joel wasn't the same perimeter shooter he is now uh he's shooting over 40 percent from three this year but back then he was a <laughs> a willing but not particularly effective outside shooter so his his absence really opened up the paint uh, a lot more for ben um and ben played great during that time the team played great and uh, we're, we're hoping we can see a, a similar stretch of success during these few weeks that joel is out now with Simmons playing some of the best basketball of his career, like this could be a turbocharged version of that wonderful little time period in 2018. 
It could be. It's. I'm interested to see how Doc plays it, because what we've seen so far is that he's still going to have either Tony Bradley or Dwight Howard in the game at all times just to have to have that traditional five in there. Right. Uh, it, it, it seems like he's reluctant to experiment with the Ben at five lineups that a certain segment segment of the fan base calls for seemingly constantly um they they to be to be fair to doc they they really haven't had a lot of success in lineups where ben is the nominal five uh the rim protection really drops off a cliff that's Um, where it really hurts like on the defensive end like nothing just nothing against ben's offense but that defense kind of takes a hit when it's ben at the five and it's just tobias at power and three shooters it's not the best defensive lineup and i can understand why they would struggle with that for sure and it's weird to say because we were always caping for ben as a defensive player of the year i know uh, leader so you're like oh the defense falls but it's just not the role that he's most effective and he's not he's not really a a huge shot blocker unless it's closing out on a three-point shooter um it's already bad enough that ben is already one of the best on ball defenders in the NBA and he's probably the best passer in the NBA next to LeBron. But if, you know, if he's a confident shot blocker, that just seems unfair, right? We don't, (laughs) we don't want to, we don't want to own everything. It's fine. Yeah. You you can't be a ultimate cheat code and just just rank, rank all your uh, slide meters up to 99. You have to leave some that are something has to be in the seventies. Exactly. Um, But (laughs) Yeah, I, I am. Uh, you know, I'm curious. I, I would like to see a little bit. Just get a look with some different lineups. It doesn't have to be something you go to every game, but just there's there's plenty of lineup combinations. Maybe you could try to get Matisse and Danny and a couple other of the wings out there with Ben who might be able to like provide help side block protection and just see how that goes. I don't know. It it. It could be interesting. I I don't think they necessarily have to. It's not like I'm going to be furious if Doc doesn't try that out, but I, I think now would be the time. Um, but <laughs> that being said, you know, Tony Bradley and Dwight have, you know, we're going to talk about how well the supporting cast has been playing. They've both been playing very well. So there's, there's, I guess, no reason to go away from it, especially given the success they've had in the three games post All-Star break and how great the team has been clicking. So uh, I, I guess, you know, Doc has every reason to stick with the status quo right now. And Tobias has been having a really up year as well compared to last season. So Tobias is probably going to have another one of those magical stretches where he's probably going to be closing out a lot of the games and he's going to get his medal tested a little bit. So it's all going to be positive and all of this is going to bode very well come playoff time. Yeah. uh, You know, Everyone has has seen how Tobias has had the bounce back year, um, and some of that was just regression to the mean after what was a statistically career low year for him last year. And some of it is, you know, the Horford switch out of the starting lineup slash rotation, and then Seth and Danny coming in who can provide more spacing. The and more then, balanced lineup, you mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and Tobias, you know, not being miscast as a three. He has, he, he plays exclusively as a, a four now, and he's up against guys that he has an easier time blowing by off the dribble and, and navigating those matchups now as opposed to some of the matchups he faced last year. And Doc Rivers, you know, has 
came in and he has the history with Toby and just said, Hey, I need you to be a quick decision player. You need to get the ball and you need to know what you're doing with it immediately. We, we don't want you dribbling the air out of the ball. Like <laughs> he, we saw some last year. So yeah, it's, it's all been good for Tobias. He, even with Joel in the lineup, there have been multiple occasions where he's served as the closer at the end of games um, the Lakers game, obviously being the most prominent example when he hit the game winner. Um, and he's going to have the opportunity to, to take on more of the, uh, the, the, the usage rate will go up. He'll have the ball in his hands more during this period when Joel's out. We saw um, against San Antonio, he tied his season high with seven assists. So that just kind of speaks to how much he's going to have the ball in his hands even more with uh, Joel out. As much as we want to talk about just Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley because they play the same position that Joel plays. It's going to be a cumulative uh, team approach to keeping this train moving as far as keeping it going while Joel is out. The bench right now, uh, look this up, they're 20th in bench points per game, 34.2. But going into the season with the retooled roster and better shooters, Maybe maybe not more shooters, but at least better shooters. Were you pretty confident in the bench going into the season? I, I don't know if I was confident. I was optimistic, I would say. That's a I good mean, word. There, there were, you know, hopeful signs from some of the guys. Like Shake had the tremendous uh, month or so last year where he, he really stepped up when, when some guys were out and – so then he came in and he had the great training camp and Doc Rivers was really talking him up. So some, some of that, you, you might be a little skeptical. You're like, Oh, that's just training camp. And you're always, you always hear those kind of things like best shape of their lives. Uh-huh. And all, cetera, all the key phrases. Right. So, but uh, <laughs> he, he's been up and down, but I think there's, there's been reasons to be, uh, you know, confident that shake can be a, be a different, a positive difference maker. Um, come postseason time, we've we've seen his ability to create shots both for himself and others. Um, and then uh, Matisse lately has just been not only the defensive diamond dynamo that we know he can be, just flying all over the court and the the incredible blocks where he oh we're getting com- we're, comes we're from getting ten feet away offense the last three games we're getting to it that's happening yes. all right <laughs> uh, and he had the the play against Washington where he literally contested a shot ran into the second row and then recovered to come back in and steal the pass and then went down for the the two points <laughs> um, like he's getting everywhere and yeah you said we're going to talk about the offense but he is uh, five for five from three his last three games I think he's. 13 of 15 from the field overall. So if, if he can do that, and obviously he's not going to be hundred percent from three, but if he can be, you know, in the high thirties, that's, that's all they really need him to do is just hit those open shots. And with his defensive ability, like that's a real asset in the postseason, especially against these teams that, you know, they have multiple wing creators and every team in the NBA is looking for guys like Matisse who can, be a multi-positional defender and guard on the perimeter. And if he can just hit those, those spot up shots and not be a negative offensively, then uh, that's a guy any team would love to have. Yeah. Just don't be a liability on the offensive end. That's really all we ever asked from him pretty much. Right. Yeah. It's, and I think he, 
he had the injury in camp and then he had the slow start to the season and everyone kind of gave up on him. Like not, not that they gave up on him, but there people were definitely down on Matisse. I know what you mean. And that I was just a little premature. It's like, all right, he, this was a weird year. There was no real off season. Um, camp was truncated. There was a new coaching staff in and Matisse uh-huh. wasn't, he wasn't able to be on the floor. So you combine that with the fact that he's still really young and there. I think people were just not giving him the the kind of leash he deserved, given all the uh, surrounding circumstances. And he's to his credit, he's righted the ship. And uh, especially given the All Star coming out of the All Star break, where maybe he was able to, you know, refocus a little bit, work on some things in in the week off. Uh, he's just looked tremendous these last three games. So that, that's great to see going forward. Whatever you're doing, Matisse, just keep doing it. If it, yeah. if it means that you can't post to YouTube as much, that's fine. That's <laughs> perfectly okay with that. We'll put a Red Bull mural of you on every corner if we need to. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Matisse, his three games after the All-Star break, Matisse is dangerously close to me maybe having to buy a Thibault jersey. And that's the, the highest compliment. That's the highest compliment I can pay any player <laughs> spending a hundred bucks or more on a basketball jersey. And before anybody says it, yes, it's going to be the Boathouse Row uniform because I don't <laughs> I don't hate it as much as y'all do. But that's top of so, so not the not the earned edition. That we saw I mean, I don't really, Spurs. <laughs> I mean, I don't really mind those either. Like a lot of people don't like them. Just like it's it's basic. It's it's a minimalist idea. It's fine. Yeah, uh, people people get a little too bent out of shape for something. Some you're going yeah. to see four four times a year. Like, Some of y'all get way too bent out of shape for something <laughs> that you're only going to see four times a year. You guys just need to calm down a little bit. Um, with Tony, with Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard, obviously they play the same position as joel so their role just kind of do the same thing and i mean they're not going to have you know so so drop 30 and 12 no 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 no. nothing (laughs) nothing like that but i think it's more important for them to be impactful on the defensive end am i right like anything offensively is gravy like you're not going to get that same kind of tony bradley performance that you had the other night like that's not exactly something you can count on night to night yeah, they. I don't think he's gone seven for seven every game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they they certainly have to focus on the defensive end because n- neither of them is the uh, offensive weapon, and they don't even have the same type of game as Joel. They're not going to obviously they're not shooting threes except when Dwight gets a little frisky in the fourth quarter of a blowout, um, and they're not guys who can face up from twelve feet and knock down a contested jumper. Right. Uh, they're 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 picking roll rollers who are going to finish around the rim they're going to you know crash the glass get the putbacks do do kind of the dirty work on the interior um but offensively you know it's just going to result in those possessions that were going to joel a lot they're going to go to toby or they're going to go for seth pick and roll actions or they're going to go to ben post-ups instead of joel post-ups like you have other options offensively you just have to tweak your your game plan a little bit um defensively yeah you're right that's where they need to be impactful because the Sixers need that backline rim protector uh, as as does any defensive scheme for an NBA team and Joel is one of the best in the world at doing that so if you can just approximate that where you don't have to overhaul the defensive 
scheme and you can still funnel guys into whoever your, your five man is, whether it's Bradley or Dwight um, and maintain the, the, the same defensive rotations and schemes that you have in place. And you don't have to change things up drastically. Then that's really helpful for the team um, in the short term, because then you have more continuity in your defensive play. And that'll just help you uh, maintain your success over these next few weeks. I'm just saying against San Antonio, uh, Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard were plus 18 and plus 19 respectively. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. They, I mean, all, <laughs> I mean, everyone against the Spurs had a, a crazy plus minus. Yeah, uh, that's true. They, that's they, true. they just, you know, that, yeah. was a, that, was a, that was a throttling. I think Toby had a, a plus 36. Like I'm um, trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to be positive. And you just, you're uh, just there's, thank no, there's, you for there's, raining on my parade, Sean. No, I, I'm there. There's every reason to be positive. I mean, not just, <laughs> not just against San Antonio, but those guys have been playing great lately in, in all three games since the, the all-star break. And, uh, you know, Bradley, to his credit has, has stepped up. It's, it's hard to be a guy who doesn't play typically. And then you go from you're, you're out of the rotation completely to suddenly you're the starter because doc wants to maintain Dwight Dwight's spot with the bench unit and keep him in the same kind of role that he is, even when Joel is in there. So now you have Tony Bradley starting and whenever he's come in, he looks like he's been playing every game, (laughs) which is, you know, that's really hard. Um, and he's, he's played great. He, he doesn't do, he doesn't do things that are overtly bad. He doesn't hurt you. He doesn't try to do too much. He just stays within himself. He makes, he knows who he is, the smart controlled play. And that's all you can really ask of a guy who is your third string center. And suddenly he's filling in and he just, he looks competent out there and he's, you know, playing hard and he's doing the little things. He's, he's setting good screens. He's, he's rebounding. Well, he's, he's making his putbacks and, and everything else. Um, he, He's playing great ball right now. Both, both the uh, centers um, behind you will have been. All, all praises to Daryl Morey for getting Tony Bradley, all praises to Daryl Morey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, who, who did they, I, I'm blanking on who they traded away for, um it was tony bradley to detroit and oh that was a zaire yeah the zaire smith right okay yeah so we we all love zaire here but it's it's not like he's really taken off in uh in motown this year so such a damn Um, shame too yeah it really is um but it seems like tony Tony bradley's playing a helpful role right now so i I mean it seems like that was a move the only thing I'll th- say about Zaire is, is it more, is it more about Zaire or is it more about the Detroit Pistons as an organization? That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> I think they, they cut him. Right. So I, I don't, or he's, I, I think he's in playing, the G league. I think Detroit. he's, I think, he, I think, he, I think he might be playing in the G league. I don't, I don't know if he's still under the, uh, the piss, the Pistons still have his rights or not. I, I do know he's playing in the G league, but, um, yeah, that's you know we all love Zaire and hope the best for him in the future. But it, the the fact is that uh, Daryl has called this called this a championship or bust season, and Tony Bradley is playing a helpful role right now to to help the Sixers maintain that first spot in the East. And and we're not sure that uh, Zaire would have been doing a similar thing. So seems like it was the right move at this point. The last three games or the three games out of the all-star break have been fantastic from a bench standpoint. 
as I said, they only averaged about 34 points per game from the bench. But against Chicago, the bench had 55. Against Washington, it was 58. San Antonio, 56. Is this hopefully more the new normal than before? Like, obviously, you're going to bank on Joel and Ben and Tobias for their points. But can we realistically expect like 40 to 50 points a game from the bench now, like on a more consistent basis? I don't know if it's going to be quite that high. Um, These games have really been blowouts, these three games. So that certainly plays into it when the the starters aren't really even seeing the floor in the fourth quarter. Um, But yeah, I think I think it's going to be more than what you said. They ranked 20th on the season in bench bench scoring. So I I think it'll it'll certainly rise from that point. Um, We're going to see shake have some some big scoring games i would say because we'll definitely we'll definitely see for sure tomorrow when they uh when the bucks come to town yeah because the you know the bucks are a team that they have a lot of depth and uh sixers bench is going to have to match that um and they you know a guy we really haven't mentioned is uh Furkan Korkmaz and oh, he's, I'm getting he's to been, him. He's, he's been shooting I the ball extremely well. I have an entire well. <laughs> section on this podcast called "Pop the Korkmaz." All right, coming. As a matter of fact, let's just do it now. Furk has had a okay. I love popping the Korkmaz. I love sending that tweet all the time when it happens. He's had 16, 18, and 16 again in the last three games, but he's also nine of 15 on threes since coming out of the all-star break. That is spectacular. That's the kind of shoot. That's the kind of bench shooting you need. Yeah. And uh, Daniel Olinger, my co-host on the, uh, the talking about podcast. Um, we, we discuss a lot about how Korkmaz is the irrational confidence guy on the team. <laughs> and he, he every team, every team, our, he is our swaggy P swaggy, exactly. swaggy Ferk. There it is. Yep, he, he and he definitely has the swag. I, I see those those outfits he wears in the tunnel <laughs> heading to the games. Um, but uh, yeah, every every team needs a guy like that. Just somebody who doesn't have a conscience when it comes to getting up those shots. And he he could be have an awful game, and he's still going to come out and you know throw up twelve threes the next game if if those shots are presented to him. And with the Sixers who don't have a ton of guys who are really high volume outside shooters. Yep. Um, even even the guys I brought in, like Danny Green leads the team in three-point attempts per game, but it's only, I think, just right around six per game, which compared to some of the other teams in the league right now, that's not a lot um, for your the guy that's leading your team in attempts per game. Right. He averages uh, 5.9 attempts per game, but he's also shooting. He's also hitting 38%. So it's kind of like give and take. It's like, sure, he could put up more shots, but like, are, would they really be falling? Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that he, he, he specifically needs to, it's, it's more of like a roster construction thing where the, these guys like up and down the roster, you don't have a lot of guys that are, just shooting that many so Korkmaz fills that fills that role where he comes in and he's somebody that defenses has to account for because they know hey if he's getting the ball he's going to shoot it and with how effective he's been lately that's going to be something in their minds where they're going to be chasing him around the court and just have to know where he is at all times and that just helps everybody else that he's on the floor with um you know we've seen time and again how the that sort of uh gravity on offense um, can really open things up for, you know, whether it's Ben 
driving or, or Toby or, you know, whoever else is trying to create a shot, just having him out there, uh, uh, getting that attention on the defense <laughs> is really helpful. Yeah. We discussed Thibel is five for five on three since coming out of the all-star break. And you just kind of hope that's a positive sign. You just hope that's a sign of him getting way more confident and more acclimated to the offense and what his role on the offensive end is. Cause you kind of already know what his role on the defensive end is. Yeah. It, I mean, he's clearly one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. If he was a guy that played 25 to 30 minutes a game, he'd be a first team all defense guy. hundred uh, percent. No question. So yeah, it, you know, last year he shot, 30 a little over 35 percent from three but it was very up and down it was very streaky um and he's still it's a very small sample size but he's still even with the five for five only up to 31 percent this year um so you it, you just need to see it a little more consistently from him but he's looked good these last few games he's not only it's it's not just the spot ups but he's had a couple where he's come off of like a dribble handoff action and just like taken one dribble and stepped into a shot himself like a little bit of a self-creation thing. Uh, well, so that's, that's great to see. He looks really confident. Um, and the shot has never looked bad. It's never like looked broken or anything. So it's never looked Markel Fultz-ish. That's yeah. true. So you just got to hope that uh, a little more consistency and some, some more reps and that, that will eventually uh, the recent success will continue and his, his seasonal numbers will go up a little bit. And if he can just be a guy who, you know, shoots league average from three. He's a, a really helpful player in your playoff rotation. And I got to say, that's another benefit of bringing in older veterans like Seth Curry and Danny Green. And just, you just see these guys and how they operate and how they space themselves on the floor. And as a youngster, you kind of take notice. You kind of look at some things. Yeah, I mean, Danny Green is great at moving off the ball. He makes tremendous baseline cuts to to get some shots around the basket. He relocates as well as anyone in the league. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I'm sure like he's in practice or on the sidelines or whatever, like he, he and Matisse and some of the other young wings, like they talk about that stuff and I, they'd be foolish not to, to pick up a little things here and there from, from Danny and, and Seth, because they're guys that have been in the league a long time. Danny Green famously has has three rings as <laughs> as, he's, as he's want to yell to to fans. Um, so all yeah. right, da- all right, Danny, settle down, <laughs> settle down. You can so, you can brag all you want about that fourth ring if and when you bring it home to Wells Fargo Center. But the, the other three, just like calm down, okay? Just relax. Hey, there there was a there was an NBA Finals where. I think it was like midway through game three, Danny Green was the legitimate MVP favorite. Oh God. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about been, that. It would have been hysterical. Um and then and then and then he cooled off. But yeah, he was like uh something like fifteen of eighteen to start the series from three. It, it was unreal. Uh more yeah. or less hysterical than Iguodala winning the finals MVP. Oh, definitely more. <laughs> <laughs> and we we talk about Matisse and we're talking about Ferg and that's not to say that Shake has been having a bad go of things. He's still he's still the leading bench scorer on the team. He averages about 13. Like he hasn't had like a he hasn't had a bad season, you know? It's just 
just been a little in- inconsistent. It's a little inconsistent because he had like 26 against the Pacers, but then he had four against San Antonio, but still was somehow plus 35. That that this that just speaks <laughs> more to your Spurs comment. But Shake is still around, and I I don't think people are low getting low on him. And if they are, they you'd be foolish to do so. So yeah, know. it's people just had to dial back when he had the great start to the season there was a lot of oh we got shake six man in the year buzz like that that just needed to take a step back yeah i'll, I'll take responsibility for that one <laughs> that 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 one's on me guys sorry sorry about that i i totally totally screwed the pooch on that one yeah you know it's fine everybody's free to be a little uh, irrationally exuberant about <laughs> about their team's guys when they when i i am the irrational stretch. confidence guy of liberty ballers that's that's what it is there you go and and every team needs one every team every good team <laughs> needs one right um but yeah he, you know it's he's been inconsistent but that's that's kind of okay from your your bench scorer types because if it's a night that he's feeling it you can kind of hand the keys to him and he can be part of that crunch time lineup and just another option for you to close out games. Um, and that's all well and good. If he's not, then, you know, it's not like he's a starter. So you can, you know, still stick with the the starting five in crunch time. And uh, it's, it's not really something that's going to kill you. Um, that's the the luxury of, of being a bench scorer and that being your role is that if on nights you don't bring it, it's not like it kills the team's chances on any given night. And and then when you do, it's just icing on the cake. With the increased play of Matisse and the seemingly more consistent Furcon, like you were saying, against Brooklyn, for example, when you have Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, you're not asking these guys to match stride for stride with these guys coming off the bench. But, you know, it's nice to have these options there when Joel or Tobias need a breather. Yeah, I mean, you're going to you're going to need other guys to step up, especially when you're up against Brooklyn, because, you know, they're going to be scoring the ball. Uh, So you're going to have to be not necessarily defending the ball, but definitely score. No, definitely not. Um, But (laughs) but that's that's just the shot I take at the Brooklyn Nets every podcast, every time. You can bet on Brooklyn if you want to, but I'm not, not, not the way that defense looks. And yeah, hooray. They got Blake Griffin, another old broken down kind of big man that doesn't really play defense. Fine. Not, not scared of it. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. The, the Blake signing for them really didn't make sense to me because none whatsoever. Any, he, he's not, he's not a, he's probably, probably a negative defender at this point in his career. And offensively, He's not, it's not like he's an elite spot up shooter. So he's probably most effective with the ball in his hands. And any possession for Brooklyn that has the ball in Blake's hands and not one of Harden, Kyrie, or KD is definitely a win for the opposing team. So the only please, time please go to Blake happen. Griffin. <laughs> the only time that should happen is if all three of them are on the bench because it's garbage time. That's literally the only excuse for Blake Griffin to be doing his point Blake thing. Yeah. And with with them having three stars, you should be staggering your rotation where at least one of them is in the game at all times. And if one of them is in the game, then one of them should have the ball in their hands. Yeah. And the they've they've kind of talked about Blake being a point center, but Blake Griffin does not have a dunk this year. <laughs> so it's it's not like he's going to be this this rolling threat above the rim anymore. Like I think in the last two 
two seasons, he has like a total of three dunks. Like that, he, that's just not his game anymore. Damn, so that's a that's a real one eighty difference between how he started his career. Jesus, for sure. I mean, and the injuries were killers, which you hate to see that because you really hate to see it. Because I did, I loved Blake Griffin when he was coming up, and you know, it's just unfortunate that the L.A. Clippers and Lob City kind of rose at the same time that the Warriors were so you know that it, it happens yeah uh I I mean we all we all we can tell clipper strokes for the rest of the podcast if we, we want could, to, but <laughs> I don't I don't just, think we need to go into that long and I don't want to I don't want to beat that dead horse anymore like it's it's done I've already had my fun at that yeah uh, all all my all my clippers fan friends out in California they they they've heard them all and they heard even more when you know they couldn't get past the second round after even having Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd hate to be the team that uh, got their coach after that happened. Um. <laughs> who, who, was it, who was it that got that coach after oh, that? Man. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yes, but 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 getting back to the uh, the Sixers, uh, if yeah, you're up against a team like Brooklyn, you're going to need guys that can put the ball in the basket. And if Moss is a guy that can step in and, and hit some shots for you that can only help he he's made strides defensively where i think he's kind of like a neutral factor on that end he's not he's not a guy that opposing teams can really hunt like we saw against jj reddick a couple times in the playoffs back a few years back um i, I think Corkmos can at least hold his own and he's not gonna he's not gonna kill you on that end which is you know in a playoff in a playoff series where teams have days in between to kind of diagnose how they're going to attack and what they saw the night before. Right. And th- th- that's important that you're not, you're not a liability on that. End. And I don't, I think he's um, worked himself into a position where he's no longer a liability like he used to be. So that, I think that's important too. We don't like to make sweeping generalizations on small sample sizes, except me. I love to do that. That that's my jam. That's my thing. I love that. <laughs> uh, but after seeing these three games from the bench or uh, after the all-star break, uh, how are you feeling about the prospects the rest of the season? I know you said Daryl said that it's championship or bust. I still have the Sixers at least making the finals. Cause like I said, I don't trust Brooklyn's defense and I like our chances against Milwaukee in a seven game series. I know Giannis, I know they're deep, but I still like the Sixers over Milwaukee in a seven-game series, especially if they have to play four games here. Yeah, I, I think we match up well with Milwaukee now, and I think they they haven't been as good as they have been in a couple in a couple of the past years. Um, so I, I think it would be a really close series, but I think Sixers could get it done against Milwaukee. Uh, Brooklyn is just it, 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 they loom for me and. We, we haven't really seen them with all three guys healthy for a, an extended stretch. Yeah. And it's just, you got three of the best shot makers of this generation on they the court at the same time. Brooklyn at full strength. No, the Sixers haven't, but I just mean like yeah. Brooklyn, Brooklyn in general hasn't had those three guys all available for more than a couple games, just with the, the injuries and maybe kind of a the, week. <laughs> yeah. At the most. Um, so I, I, I really am interested to see, just how incredibly dynamic that offense is with all three of them available. It's, 
it's it's hard for me to definitively say like oh the Sixers can handle that because I don't think outside of Golden State in their Durant Steph Clay you know all they had with you know one of the best teams of all time we haven't aside from that we haven't seen a team with this much offensive firepower and is anyone able to keep up with that uh (laughs) i don't know it's it's hard and i know their defense is bad but sometimes if you can just score the ball better than anybody else in a historic sense that could be enough Um, i I guess if you can win four games in a series you know 138 137 i I guess it still counts (laughs) yeah so it kind of to me you look at those guys all capable of putting up 30 like joel would really have to be on one and just like dropping 40 a night uh, needs to have one of those like shaquille o'neal 2001 nba finals type performance yeah and you know three months ago i would have said like well that seems kind of crazy but given how well he's played this season i've kind of swung back to well, maybe because <laughs> he has been playing like the best player in the league. And <laughs> as the old adage goes, if you have the best player on the court, then you're considered the favorite more often than not. Um, so, you know, I'm still, I think they're in a great spot. They're, they're first in the East and Joel prior to the injury was the MVP favorite. And Ben was an all-star. Toby could have been an all-star like the supporting cast, as we've discussed the last week or so has really stepped up and they've been playing great as well. And uh, they still have, you know, a, a move or two to make at the deadline. So that that can only help. Um, I, so I feel good. I, I, I feel like their their floor is in Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I'm not going to say it's they're definitely going to come out of the East. In the playoffs, yeah, we're not going to do that yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I feel I feel really good about where the team is. Um, and if if they're healthy, I think they have the capability of beating anyone. If everybody is healthy, then we're marking this game down right now because we're less than a month away from it. April 14th, Wednesday, Brooklyn at the Wells Fargo. That is 100% must watch television. And if it wasn't for the fact that there was a pandemic, I would say the entire Liberty Ballers crew, we get together at, you know, either my house or Sean's house or something. And uh, we just watch this game as a family because it's going to be freaking fantastic. Yeah, uh, hopefully everyone is healthy by then. Um, and Joel has the the reevaluated in two weeks timeline, so maybe he'll be good in four oh, weeks. That, oh, and... that famous phrase. Yeah, we love we love a good reevaluation. We love a good reevaluation <laughs> in this town. <laughs> yes, that's that's never failed us. <laughs> Sean Kennedy, Liberty Ballers associate editor, uh, plug your stuff. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, well the the talking about podcast um, the podcast that daniel ellinger and i do on the liberty ballers podcast network um that comes out every friday so yeah check that out um you can find me on twitter at philly fast break and of course read uh read my stuff and that of my talented colleagues at libertyballers.com <laughs> always love having what i refer to as liberty ballers royalty on the podcast you've been doing it Sean was one of the guys that I first came in contact with reading the site and stuff like that. So he, he's good peeps. I, I love this guy. This dude is amazing. So yeah, listen to the talking about podcast with him and Dan read his stuff on Liberty Ballers. Sean does the bell ringer at the end of every game. It's, it's always funny. Good stuff. He has a tabulation of who's rung the most bells. I just assume that's Joel, right? 
It's Joel right now. Um, so may, maybe this will be uh, Ben's opportunity to make a push. Who knows? Ben, tally those tally those bells, my man. Yeah. Uh, Dakota Mathias has his, his one on the year, so he can always, no matter what else happens in his professional career, he can always know that he got a Liberty's Ballers bell ringer. So I did not know that he had one. How did <laughs> yeah. I miss that? <laughs> It was, uh, I think it was the Cleveland game where the Sixers got blown out and it was kind of like a, I put him in cause he was, everyone played bad and he came in and, <laughs> and was actually like energetic for five minutes. So like, well, that was refreshing. So I threw him in and I think people voted him in as like a protest vote cause everyone else was so terrible. So, so he's in there. He's, he's, he could never have that taken away from him. Shout out to Dakota Matthias. One time Sixers <laughs> bell ringer by Sean Kennedy. Very nice. Yep. By, by the Liberty Ballers community. It's a, it's a democracy. <laughs> oh, I love it. Sean, thanks for coming on the pod. I'll talk to you soon, my man. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take care, Sean.